if you are an entrepreneur, you have so much freedom to be able to build a business around your strengths, the things that you really enjoy. I don't love flipping houses. I don't love Airbnb. I love that I can focus on what I'm really good at, which is project management, it's organization, it's outsourcing, it's automating, it's bringing in really good people to be a part of my team that I trust and I'm employing. And and for that reason, it make, it gives me some fulfillment as well to know that I'm helping someone to to make some income. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back. Got Kyle Stanley with me this afternoon. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, John, for having me, man. I am super excited to have you here. So Kyle is the host of the Fearless Investor podcast. He is a real estate investor, educator, and Airbnb expert. Kyle, what are you working on right now? Working on expanding my business to Arizona, actually. I'm in California right now. have been for the first two years of business and got a passion project going where my best friend and I are actually going to be just copying and pasting what I'm doing in California and moving it over to Arizona. So that's super exciting for me right now. Nice, man. Well, I'm super excited to see where that takes you with, uh, with the success you've had so far. So one of the big points I like to touch upon is, is your journey. And so I think yours is so intriguing from the standpoint that you did a multitude of different careers. You were a sportscaster in a previous life. You had done the fitness industry. You were a sales rep as well. So I guess kind of give the audience an idea of, you know, how'd you go from that to, to now living full-time as a real estate investor, Airbnb expert? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the life of entrepreneurs, right? Like we don't get it right the first time. It's very rare that we get it right the first time. And that was something I just had to be patient with. I just knew early on in my career out of college when I got into sports anchoring, I I thought I was in my dream career. I thought I was going to be, you know, the next ESPN guy or like sports center or play-by-play guy for the Cubs, which is my team go Cubs go. But the reality was very quickly, I realized when you strip me of my ability to be creative and you tell me how to do something, I, I become stubborn and I say, no, screw you. I don't, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And so that told me very early on, like I needed to be my own boss. And so 24 years old, I started a new business. I'm making videos for high school athletes, helping them to get into college. Uh, I think that I'm going to, you know, like take this thing to the top because, you know, I'm a business owner and, you know, freedom, right? Well, I was very much the opposite of free. I was financially strapped. I didn't have any mentorship on how to build a business. So I did it the wrong way. I capped myself out. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that everyone from the outside that was seeing me run a business kept on, you know, saying, oh, you know, he's got this great business. And everyone from the outside thought I was successful. And on, internally, I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm making literally $20,000 a year and working about 80 hours a week. This is miserable. And, So I just had this ego of like, I can't quit. You know, I just, I can't quit because everyone else is seeing me um, and and they think that I'm successful. But what I realized is that you don't quit on the dream, you quit on the vehicle. And as long as you're not quitting on the dream, you can figure out the next vehicle. So I had to make a tough decision uh, in 2017 when I moved from Arizona back to California to be close to my family as my dad was going through hospice and uh, going through cancer treatments and all this stuff um, that I needed to put that business down and I needed to do something else. So 
Long story short, I tried an MLM for a while, uh, was decently successful, but that wasn't creating the passive income that I wanted. And so it, this idea of passive income that was really sticking with me. And I thought to myself, okay, there has to be something really, truly passive out there. And that's when I came upon real estate. I was all about like, hey, how do I get an apartment complex? That sounds like the best way to get passive income. But then when I found out how much you have to pay for an apartment complex, I was like, I can't afford that. So what in the world am I going to do to be able to get there? And so I just really, um, John, I educated myself for about four or five months straight at the end of 2018. Um, I was just really diving into, you know, the bigger pockets, Cardone zone, all these different real estate related things. And then I finally just took the leap into flipping. Fast forward now today, flipping is kind of my bonus income in my business, but Airbnb has become the main thing for me. And, and it was funny because I was kind of sitting on Airbnb uh, as like a hobby for about four or five years. And then when I finally took it seriously, man, it just exploded to the point where now we're, we're running about 22 to 24 listings here in Fresno, California. And we just got our first two under contract in Arizona as well. So it's very exciting. Nice, man. Well, congratulations on the Arizona contracts. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, so a couple of things you touched on there that I would like to go into a little bit more detail is kind of like you said, the entrepreneur is, you know, you're constantly iterating on these ideas that you think are going to work. And so I just like the fact that you're open and honest about the success, right? It's not just a fly by night. Hey, I stumbled in an Airbnb and now I've got all these listings and now I'm kind of just doing what I want when I want. So what was it mindset wise that kind of propelled you to continue going when you, when you did face some of those struggles? Yeah, again, it kind of goes back to what I said. You never give up on the dream. You just give up on the vehicle. So I, I just know I've always wanted to live life on my terms. Um, and I don't want to have to check my bank account. I don't want to have to think twice about going on a vacation. I don't want to have to think twice. You know, what? I can tell you this too. When you're financially strapped, you're, you're, it's the most selfish place that you can be. Um, and when when you're only considering how much money is in your bank account because you're so stressed, you can't, you don't have time to think about the well being of other people because you aren't even well. It's just like, you know, when you go to put on your, your mask in an airplane, you have to put yours on first before you can put the child's on right next to you. If you're in debt, if you're struggling and you're expecting to still be able to help other people, you're, you're really living a lie because you can't even take care of yourself. So, um, yeah, that was the big thing for me is I just knew if, if I want to be financially free, um, I had to take care of, uh, of what the dream was. And, and so I wasn't about to give up on it. That's a great perspective. I haven't heard it said, you know, just that way. But I mean, that's, that's a really great perspective in regards to how it impacts the others around you when you're so strapped and, and focused on providing means, be it family, shelter, whatever the case is, because that's obviously got to be your number one. It's hard to really reach a handout and, and help others to, to kind of get a leg up as well. So, um, so flipping is interesting. So I've gone down that path myself too. And uh, I kind of like how you put it, how it's kind of your bonus uh, side income right now, because there are some challenges within flipping in and of itself and, and the amount of work and the funny stories that I guess, maybe they're not funny at the time, but that end up coming out of the scenarios. So when you got into real estate, what, what really started you down that path? And, and, and how did you get to Airbnb through you know all these different avenues that you pursued? Yeah, I, I kind of skipped over it there in my, my journey. I didn't want to uh, talk until I was blue in the face there about everything that I had done. But essentially, I bought my first home in Arizona in 2014 to live in. And a buddy of mine told me about Airbnb. And he was like, yeah, total strangers just sleep in your extra room. And all you got to do is make the bed. And I was like, that sounds super sketchy, dude. And he was like, you know, call it sketchy if you want. But I just made seven grand in the last five months doing this as an apartment in uh, Las Vegas. And I was like, okay. 
Like I'm, I'm right next to spring training facilities. I'm in Phoenix. Like this, this has got to work. If it's working in Vegas, it's got to work there. And if it's a personal referral from a buddy of mine, I guess I'll take the leap. Um, and so I, I just was doing it as a house hacking method, um, in Airbnb for the first four years. And then basically when I moved back to Fresno and you know, you asked about the flipping thing, I, I, when I was doing all of this research, I just, I couldn't figure out like which part of real estate I wanted to get into. And, and so like, I really wanted the passive income, but I knew that there was something I had to do actively, whether it was a job on the side or if it was something within real estate. And so I was just waiting for that one thing to just make sense, like just fit all of my strengths. And, and that's the one thing I would say about the business of real estate is that if you are an entrepreneur, you have so much freedom to be able to build a business around your strengths, the things that you really enjoy. I don't love flipping houses. I don't love Airbnb. I love that I can focus on what I'm really good at, which is um, project management, it's organization, it's outsourcing, it's um, automating, it's bringing in really good people to be a part of my team that I trust and I'm employing. And, and for that reason, it, make, it gives me some fulfillment as well um, to know that I'm helping someone to, to make some income. So long story short, I saw that with flipping and I saw that, you know, raising money. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I've, I've always been in sales. I bet raising money will be just like making a sale. So like, I think I can do this. And so that was January 6, 2019. I got my first contract uh, for a flip under contract February 15th. So about six weeks later, it was a very moderate type of deal where I wasn't going to make very much, but it was giving me experience. And so I got the experience I needed and I did about four flips my first year, but right around May of 2019, I was like, you know what? I keep doing Airbnb and I, I guess this is kind of like a version of real estate, right? So what could I do instead of just house hacking out of a room? What could I do with an, with an entire house? So I got curious. I went out of town for a weekend and I hid my stuff in the closet and I put my entire house on Airbnb and in three days I made $450 while on vacation. And I was like, what just happened? And how do I do that again? And so I just got really big on, again, education, listening to podcasts, buying some courses. And I got into uh, the arbitrage model of Airbnb, which has now led me to arbitrage, basically the long story short, you lease it from a landlord and then you sublease it on Airbnb. An amazing way to get into it. Uh, but really now like my portfolio is a little bit of arbitrage, a little bit of ownership and a lot of management for other people. And so that my, my big thing with Airbnb is what I love is that you can get into this with, with little to no money or with other people's properties. And that's a beautiful thing. So that's, that's really where we've been able to expand our business. And, uh, and that's why I love Airbnb is because it's very, very low risk if you do it the right way. I just love the perspective that you have about, you know, finding your strengths and, you know, aligning what you were doing within those strengths. And I think that was one of the challenges that I had personally within flipping as well is I'm, I'm the farthest person from handy ever. You know, I didn't have the majority of the tools needed and, and I'm also a sucker for a sob story, you know? So anytime the contractor's like, Oh, I got to get paid today. You know, I've got this bill or whatever the case, you know, I would always fall for it. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a sales guy. So I'm more like the tip of the spear. So my organizational skills and my efficiencies and project management are things that, that leave something to be desired. And so I think that's just such a great point is really, and what I, what I like about you is you're so intentional around what you're looking to do and, and where you're positioning yourself to be as effective as and efficient within the business as possible. So 
within Airbnb, so you mentioned you had, you know, a pretty good portfolio right now. Two things I wanted to figure out is, you know, how much are you making right now, income wise, from your Airbnb portfolio? And then if we could dig into the main three main categories you mentioned, you know, owning the property, arbitrage, and then uh, co-hosting or, or co-managing, uh, just so the audience can get a little bit better idea of, of the different ways. Because I think majority of folks just hear Airbnb, they think about buying a rental at the beach or in their neighborhood. So I'd love to touch yeah. on those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this last month we netted twenty two thousand, uh, just over twenty two thousand, which is phenomenal. Um, nice. Again, you know, after after I'm paying my assistant and a few other uh, people for automation, I'm keeping about seventeen thousand of that, which is really awesome. It allowed me to be able to be in Arizona and and go trying to start building uh, the other side of this business uh, for a month this last month, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and 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 again, like you know, twenty two thousand dollars. That literally was my entire. Um, earnings in 2014, and and so like you know to do that now in a month is is sometimes I have to pinch myself. Um, That's incredible. But yeah, well, so so here's here's the real thing. Like if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, what's the best way to get an Airbnb? The number one thing I would say is talk to a landlord right now, right away. Try to find someone that you know that owns a house, and ask them if they would be willing to lease it out to you, which is arbitrage, or if you could manage it with them and split the profits uh, after expenses or, or, you know, maybe even, you know, like negotiate something down to, or maybe shoot, maybe even do it for free. Like your whole thing is getting experience and getting something in your portfolio. Um, My mentor, uh, he was the first person I ever managed a property for. And I told him, Hey, listen, you've given me so many things. Um, for free for help. Um, I want to do this for you for free. So the very first property I ever managed for someone else was absolutely for free, but it gave me a managerial property where I had a referral. I had a, a great testimonial from him and I knew the system in which I could go manage for other people and if it would work or not. And so we had owned slash arbitraged about seven or eight units between uh, November of 2019 to February of 2020 and then COVID hit, right? And I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to lose this Airbnb business overnight? Two weeks later, I'm like, wait, we're actually okay. Um, And I'm in one of those areas that really didn't get hit by COVID because we're not a vacation destination. Um, We are, people are coming to Fresno because they have to, not because they want to. Um, And so I just kept talking about like, hey, Airbnb is still strong. Airbnb is still strong. And before I knew it, June came around and I'm getting calls left and right from people that are landlords who are being referred to me saying, Hey, I heard you do Airbnb. What would I make if you manage my property? And, um, we did this as an Airbnb. And so I, I made a little pro forma sheet. I would send it to them and they would see, okay, as a regular rental, I'd make about three or $400 with Kyle managing, even after expenses, after furnishing it, after all this stuff, I'm still making like almost a thousand to $1,200 a month. And that's pretty awesome. So they they saw that and they said, "Yeah, let's do it." So before I knew it, um, this portfolio went from seven to now about twenty two to twenty four, literally overnight, um, or what felt like overnight. And um, honestly, like that that is the way that I think is the best way to build up this business is becoming basically a property management company. Um, but having the right teammates, having the right tools, having the right automation is very, very important for that. Or else, you know, you're going to go from one to five to 10 and realize that you're not cut out for it because you don't know how to recruit the right people. So, um, 
Yeah. So in other words, you can own the property, you can lease it and then release it out, sublease it, or you can manage with someone and just charge them the management fee. And I, I think for even myself, you know, looking at Airbnb initially, it was always just, hey, you got to buy the property and then you lease it out by the night, right? right. That was just always the way I, I looked at it. So I just, that's why I really enjoyed listening to your your podcast and your content is because it really opened my eyes. And I know the arbitrage thing is a little bit bigger. You know, I, I know a lot of people have, are more familiar with it now than before, but I just love the fact that, again, you were able to see an opportunity in the market and then that intertwined, right? So you've got income streams coming in from multiple different avenues that if some of the people that you're managing properties for sold them, or if, you know, for whatever reason, some of the properties within the portfolio, you know, didn't end up having as strong of a month as you needed them to, you're insulated to some extent, right? You know, you're not dependent on one property, one strategy, single point failure. And that's what I really like is that you're diversifying, you're, you're, you know, you're siloed within Airbnb to an extent, obviously you've got the flipping as well, but you're also hedging a little bit within Airbnb if, if something yep. were to happen. And um, and so within the, oh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. I, I just want to say something while you're, while you're thinking of that. You yeah. know, we, we do have a lot more turnover when it comes to managing other people's properties, which is fine because um, we're not losing anything. You know, we don't have any financial investment into that. So literally when someone says, hey, will you manage for me? I just added about 500 to $1,200 of cash flow with no money in the deal. So I'm, I'm, I, the way I look at it is, hey, if that goes away, I was, I was blessed to have that even to begin with. And if I treat people the right way, more and more referrals will come my way to where it really doesn't matter. I mean, we fully expect to be at about 30 properties, you know, within the next four months. And so, um, you know, 30 versus 22, I mean, I'm, I'm happy either way. Yeah, that's excellent scale. So I wanted to ask about Fresno, right? So yeah. I mean, you're not you're not doing this in you know Metropolis. You know, you're not in Miami. You're not in well, I wouldn't say New York right now, but you're not in Las Vegas. You're not in Nashville. So you know, for people that are kind of thinking to themselves, hey, you know, I don't know if my market or my area is right for Airbnb. I mean, you're making it happen in Fresno, like you said, people are only coming there if they have to. So so if you think you can make it happen in Fresno, I mean, is is this something that people can do in 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 almost any market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would really suggest going to AirDNA. Um, you can either Google AirDNA or um, I've got my referral link, which is just bit.ly.com forward slash AirDNA. And you can literally just go do the research. It's it's like the MLS of Airbnb where you can see what the comps are. You can see what the occupancy rate is, how many different rentals there are. Um, I would also make sure that you're calling your city and seeing, hey, is there a permit process or is there any restrictions? There's some cities that only do 30-day or more rentals, which really hinders your ability to do build an effective Airbnb business. Um, so it's things like that that you got to figure out. But yeah, I mean, you know, you go to, um, I, I always like to use, you know, like beach towns as an example. There's going to be a lot of seasonality. There's going to be, you know, during the summer, there's great turnout, but then, you know, like January, um, December, November, like, you know, there's going to be those, those lower seasons. Um, and with me, with Fresno, like I just get a very consistent income. I might not make as much per property overall for the entire year uh, as like a Newport Beach or like an Orlando, Florida or something like that. But um, I know what I'm making on a monthly basis. I know that, you know, my rates are only going to drop maybe about 15 to 20%. And my occupancy is only going to change between about a 5% rate uh, during the entire year, month to month. So I like consistency, but you know, now that we're moving over to Phoenix and Scottsdale, the Tempe area, you know, that's gonna be a little bit more seasonal. So that is going to be something that uh, is going to 
takes some getting used to for me. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see though, because you know, when you get to the hot seasons of like, you know, spring training and all these different things or like January through April over there, it's just great weather. So I'm excited to see like what the profits are during those hot seasons. So, you know, I guess long story short, figure out, do you want consistency or do you want the, you know, Hey, super high profits. And then you got to kind of eat some of the the losses during the the lower seasons. You got to kind of figure out what the best one is for you. But I, I always suggest just starting in your own backyard, look it up on air DNA um, and see if your place is good for, for Airbnb. And, and one thing you touched upon there also was make sure that you understand your local municipality and you know the regulations that they have. I know that's one thing that I heard from a from an episode of yours before. Is I think just in general, you know, sometimes people hear something and they either hesitate, you know, analysis paralysis, or they jump in head first. And so I think that's one thing, you know, depending on where the listeners are sitting. But you know, if they're in you know like in California or you know some of those areas, uh, just make sure that you're checking your local regulations and codes and, and city permits just to make sure that you're not putting yourself in, in difficulty. Um, because I know that that was one of the things you've touched upon before that I thought was really a great n- nugget for, for folks to know so that, you know, they weren't just going out there and going headfirst into this. And then all of a sudden learning that, uh, you know, it's maybe not as practical as they had expected. Yeah. You know, I, I always struggle with this too, because I, I get the analysis paralysis. I get the like, Hey, it's gotta be perfect before I make a move. But then sometimes I'm like, all right, all the people around me who are really successful say they, you know, they ready, fire, aim, you know, they just go for it and then they figure it out afterward. And so, um, I, I think there's a good balance there, but a real easy move is just make sure you call your city because the last thing you want to have happen is you go buy a property, you put, you know, if you're buying off the MLS and putting 20% down, you know, suddenly you're in 70 to a hundred thousand dollars. And then before you know it, uh, the city's calling you and saying, Oh yeah, you can't do that. And so you're screwed. So it's, it takes one simple phone call to be able to figure that out. But if, if the city says you're good, uh, then at that point I would say, just go for it. Just, just try it out. Do a little bit of research. Don't overthink it. I still do that though. Like we just got this deal in, in Arizona and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, should we do it? Should we do it? And then I just got down to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. And at the end of the day, if I don't figure it out, it's gonna be a great learning experience and there's not going to be a whole lot lost. So you just, you just got to jump in and see what happens. Yeah. Like you said, do some do some due diligence so you're not putting yourself in hot water. But then at, then at the end of the day, you've just got to jump in and, and get at it. Right? You're going to learn something out of the experience, regardless. Um, so within that, one of the things that you mentioned as well is make sure that you're hedging to some extent, right? So so if, if regulations change, I mean, just like anything, right? You know, obviously the election is top of mind right now, but you know, th- things change and cities, municipalities, they change their code, their parameters, their laws, whatever their covenants, whatever the case is. So I I really like how you also look at things from the perspective of if you had to worst case scenario, convert it to a long-term rental. Yeah. That's the big thing. I, I think you need to always, no matter what deal I do, whether it's Airbnb or flipping, um, I'm always looking at worst case scenario. Um, so, you know, like on a flip, I'm just never going to do those flips that are going to sell for uh, two to three times the the median in, in the city, because those aren't going to cash flow. If I have to hold on to that and put a renter in there, it's not going to cash flow. It's not going to be a good thing. So for me, if I'm doing an Airbnb and I'm buying it or um, I'm going to sublease it, am I set up to where I can easily exit without a, a big loss? So that's why I love subleasing and doing arbitrage because as long as you have it in the contract where, you know, it's, hey, here's how much it is to break the lease early. You take, you know, the the furniture, you either sell it or you move it over to your next unit or 
if, you know, like we have a guy who's actually one of our arbitrage units right now that's doing a long-term rental, but he gave me a great price. And so I was like, okay, great. So, you know, th- that's, that's a thing that you want to think about is, will you get a long-term renter that is going to be able to make up for any sacrifice you had to do uh, in regards to not doing Airbnb? So is it going to cash flow if Airbnb gets taken away from you? If, and you know, and, and that's the thing is like, I don't think a lot of people think that way. Um, I, I don't hear a lot of people in the Airbnb world ever thinking about like, oh, what if Airbnb is never, or, you know, uh, not a viable option in the future. Everyone just kind of thinks like, oh, this is going to go on forever. And I think short-term rentals will be a thing forever. But what if Airbnb as a business goes out? What if all of these platforms, uh, you know, fall off? Or what if the city ends up bringing in regulations? What are you doing? Uh, and how are you doing your deals? How are you analyzing the deals to see if a long-term rental or a furnished rental um, will be able to, to do it for you in the future. So that, that would be my biggest recommendation is just make sure it's still cash flowing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you're not looking at that downside risk of some of these scenarios, we know within real estate in general, right? I mean, just like we talked about with the flipping and stuff, you need to really have your ARV on point, especially, you know, in this, in today's market, you know, where some markets are, are extremely hot and then others are, are hurting a little bit because of the pandemic. So I just think it's really good to make sure that you are looking at the, the downside, knowing that, hey, if I had to stick a long-term tenant in there, you know, maybe I'm not making, you know, like you said, you're not making a thousand or 1200 bucks a month, but maybe you're breaking even, or maybe you're making a couple hundred bucks a month and you're not losing the property, um, or, you know, going negative in regards to the cash flow. So, so one of the things that you talked about earlier that I really wanted to get into was around your efficiency and systemization. So, uh, even just like if you, if you send Kyle an email, you know, you get back, Hey, I check my email twice a day, right? You do the batching. So, I mean, I feel like, I'm not sure if you're like a, you know, a clone of Tim Ferriss, or if you just really enjoy <laughs> his, uh, his work. But I mean, just as far as the systemization, you kind of remind me of a combo of Tim Ferriss and then, then the e-myth, you know, about yeah. building the systems and yeah. delegating a lot of those responsibilities. And I think as an entrepreneur, a lot of people have challenges with that because, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm supposed to be that single point failure and take on all these responsibilities. So, so how do you go about, you know, setting up these systems and, and deciding when you should delegate and when you should really hold things for you to do on your own? Yeah, you know, um it's it's funny. I I really think at the core of me I'm actually a lazy person. Um, <laughs> and so just extra efficient. Yeah, you know, just yeah. super efficient. Well, I I just, you know, I I get to that point where I'm like, man, you know, I and la- lazy is a uh, probably a wrong way to put it, but it really does feel like sometimes where I'm just like, uh, I don't want to put in the work today. Uh, but but I also think that's recognizing your strengths. Um, you know, like when I first started in Airbnb, my thought was, hey, I'm going to respond to all these guests so that I don't have to pay someone else to do it. And I realized like all these things are falling through the cracks. I'm not getting my cleaners set up at the right times. Um, and I just realized I'm, I'm really bad at that stuff. I'm not good on staying on top of things because I have so many different avenues of my business of which I, I have to pay attention to. And so it made more sense to say, okay, who can I hire that strictly is doing that? And that's their number one job. And so for that reason, they're going to be really good at it. And so it's, it's things like that, that, you know, I'm just always thinking about how do I take this off my plate? But then there's things that I really love about the business. I love managing my calendar um, for, for um, Airbnb. I love pricing things out. Um, I don't automate that just because I really love doing it. I love waking up and putting in five minutes every morning to make sure that we're priced out on our, our places for at least the next two days. Um, it, it, I just find a lot of joy in that. Um, I love doing the uh, the bookkeeping at the end of the month. I really find a lot of joy in that. Um, so it's those things I get to pick and choose what I really enjoy. But then long story short, 
Um, you, you mentioned Tim Ferriss and the E-Myth because you know, I, I really do enjoy both those books. I'm never going to be like Tim Ferriss where I actually have my assistant call my wife and tell her that I love her. Um, <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do that myself when I do eventually have a wife. But I, I, I love that book because there is so many different things that you know, it, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm, I'm always responding. You know, I, I have, my email is so busy or my, my text, I'm always, always on my phone. So many people want me. No, you're, so many people are responding to you because you're responding to them. And so that's still something I struggle with though, is like, you know, just even though it says I only check my email twice a day, sometimes I am checking it as much as twice an hour, just because I, I get in that mode where like, I'm, I'm doing that, but I know I need to back off. So I, I love, I love that you brought that up. But at the same time, I, I really want to talk about the, the entrepreneur thing because truly I'm not an entrepreneur. According to the e I am a manager. Um, I'm not a technician in my business anymore, per se, for most of it. I'm uh, still technician in, in some regards, but I manage a lot of the day-to-day stuff. And then one day, I'm going to be an entrepreneur where literally this thing runs and grows on its own without me even having a, a pulse on how it's going. I get to see you know, eventually just what what is going on in the business um, in terms of profits and everything, but I don't have to check in with people. I don't have to do all that. That That is the ultimate dream of where it goes. But I think I think that's the big thing is that, you know, we, we get into this mindset of it. I'm the only person that can do this. It has to, and then before you know it, you're a jack of all trades and you're a master of none. And so I want to be the master of what I love in my business. And then I want to outsource the things that I don't love or the things I feel are really heavy. I want to focus on the things that feel light, that feel like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this because I really enjoy it. And then I'm going to outsource all the things that feel real heavy. Like I don't want to clean the properties. I don't want to talk to the guests. I honestly have very little patience when I talk to guests. I think a lot of them are, uh, are, are just not the sharpest tools in the shed. And so I, I, I don't think I'm going to respond very kindly when they say, Hey, how do you turn on the AC? <laughs> so, stuff like that that just like kind of gets me. So I want to focus on the things I really love. And same goes for flipping. I, I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to pick up the tool. Um, I'm not going to even like going to the property and checking on it. I might do that three times during the course of a two-month flip. Um, and I'm not going to be the realtor. I, I don't even have my real estate license. And I'm going to outsource that. All the things that feel real heavy to me, I don't want to do that because I want to create a business that fits into my strengths and fits in the lifestyle that I want. One of the things you've talked about before is, you know, by wealth is measured by the availability of choices. And it's nice that you're kind of able to weave that within, you know, holding on to what you like and what brings you joy and fulfillment, right? You know, from the business and then being able to delegate the other options that that you don't quite, you know, care for as much. So um, I wanted to touch on that a little bit around the wealth measured by availability of choices. So, you know, what kind of got you to that point where that was more important to you than, you know, being able to do what you wanted on your terms versus, hey, I've got to build this, you know, I mean, because I mean, now you're at a pretty good point. I mean, $22,000 a month, $17,000 a month, month net. I mean, that's a really good clip. But what made you stop thinking, you know, that the, the goal was to build amass this massive fortune versus, you know, kind of the availability to do what you want when you want? Yeah, yeah. I, I think COVID, honestly, like kind of really opened my eyes to that. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about like, you know, getting back to the family and getting back to the core of just being at home. For me, it was like, man, I could get COVID, I could die tomorrow. And like, who knows, you know, what could happen, I could get hit by a car tomorrow. And you know, there's there's things like that, where it's just like, so what's the point of all this? Um, and so for me, you know, it's just about focusing more on like, what what are you passionate about? And what are the things that fulfill you? Um, and focusing on especially 
um, like how are you giving back to others and how are you making a, a lasting impact? You know, I, I think about it a lot where it's like, Hey, you know, how many people would be at my funeral? You know, if, if I don't feel like, um, if I pass away, you know, sooner than later or, or later in life, like you, you really find out the measure of your impact of, by the amount of people that would show up to your funeral. And my, my dad, it, that was like the first time I really like noticed just how much of an impact that my dad had when he passed away, there was close to 400 people at his uh, memorial. And it's just like, you know, that, that to me is way more important than, you know, are you, you know, I've, I've had conversations with a lot of high level thinkers and, and kudos to them if this is what they want to do, but this isn't me where it's just like, yeah, next goal is a hundred thousand dollars. And then I ask them like, or a hundred thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But then what about after that? And they say, well then $500,000. And I'm like, yeah, but, but why? Like, just and and a lot of them say just to prove that I can do it, and I'm just like that. Just that just feels so empty to me. That feels like, you know, you're just always going to be bored um, until you reach that goal, and then you reach that goal, and you get that like real quick shot of dopamine, feeling really good about yourself, and then you just kind of like, well, what's next? Like if you ever saw, um, oh, what was the the documentary Free Solo? Did you did you see that, John? I have not seen that one. I've, okay. I've heard a so, lot about it. I need to check it out. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy's climbing mountains and, you know, he's doing it without a rope and like, it's super dangerous and it's just an adrenaline rush. And he ends up doing El Capitan here in California. And, you know, they interviewed him after and he's just like, yeah, I don't really know what's next. And he just seems so depressed after he did it. And it was just, just that, lo- that little high of seeing that he did it and he worked so hard, but when you know that the only person you're doing it for is yourself, then what's really the point? And so that, that to me is something that I'm battling with on a daily basis of like, you know, is everything that I'm doing working towards myself? Is it a selfish reason? Is it for others? Um, is it for my faith? Is it for uh, the people around me? Is it for my future family? And so I'm always just kind of questioning those things and trying to uh, evolve that, uh, that idea of what the impact that I want to leave. Well, you just touched on something really important to me and, and, you know, something that I've kind of wrestled with myself in regards to, you know, a lot of the books I've read around psychology and mindset and fulfillment have really spoken to the value of relationships in our lives versus, you know, nobody on their deathbed says, Hey, I wish I could have worked an extra day or I wish I could have made an extra million dollars right. or an extra, even $10 million. Right. They're like, they usually it's, Hey, I wish I had more time with my family, my loved ones, those around me that mattered the most. And I think that's just such a great perspective because that's really what I'm trying to embody as well is having that time so I can see my daughters, my, you know, my extended family, my wife, and we can go do fun things together and really seek that fulfillment through relationships. And I think kind of to your point about the gentleman from Free Solo is like, you know, we get so caught up in these aspirations and we think we're going to be so happy when we make six figures, when we make 500,000, when we become a millionaire, whatever the case is, and we actually attain those and that we realize nothing really has changed. Right. And so I just, I, that, that's, that's such an important point to me. And I think that's something that, you know, took me a really long time because those were the aspirations I had. Right. You know, and that's kind of what in, for the most part, the mindset is right. Hey, go to college, make six figures, you get a good job, make six figures, put money in your retirement account, and then, you know, kind of wait till you're 65 and, and, kind of, you know, right off into the sunset. I just really appreciate that perspective because I mean, that means so much to me. And I think the ability to do what you want, when you want, and, you know, have that flexibility today versus 30 years from now is, is so important. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I I can't remember which book it was recently that I was reading, but it, they started off by talking about John D Rockefeller and how he was to this day, if you include inflation, the most wealthy man to ever live. And they asked him, 
even during that time when he was the most wealthy man, they were like, so when is enough enough? And he just said, you know, just, just a little bit more. And I feel like when you don't have that reason for why you're doing what you're doing, then you just, it's always going to be that way. Cause you're always just chasing that carrot thinking when I get to this amount of money, I'm going to be happy. And, um, I, I'll tell you this, like, I live well below my means. Um, I live in a one where, where I'm coming from right now is I'm, I'm in a one bedroom, one bath mother-in-law unit on the property that I live on. And I rent out the other two units to make sure that I don't pay anything for where I live. I don't drive a super fancy car. Um, I'm not spending money on toys um, because those aren't really the reasons of why I'm trying to amass wealth. I, I want to just make sure that whoever I'm leaving this to, whether it's family or you know loved ones, that they're going to be set up and they're going to have options. Because for me, I had options because of my dad. I I was able to go down the entrepreneur route because I knew I had a, a parachute behind me that if something were to happen, then I, I would be able to fall back on something. And and for me, it wasn't an excuse that I used. It was a opportunity that I used. And I want to be able to do the same thing for you know the kids that hopefully one day I'll have. So that to me is way more important than the kind of watch you wear or the the type of car you drive or the type of house that you live in. That's so powerful. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, and, and that's a lot of the reason why, you know, that a lot of material items aren't, aren't important to us. And, you know, we, we try to do a good enough job living below our means, you know, for, for the most part, but I think that's something that we still struggle with too, but no, man, this has been awesome. So well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack here. So, so I know you've done like a lot of different things within real estate and kind of all over, but what would you say is the most contrarian investment that you've made? Yeah, it's probably the house I live in. I got an investor to put up $45,000. We bought it straight off the MLS. I live in one of the units. So we were able to do, we tried to do an FHA loan, but FHA just was taking forever. So I just did a conventional 5% down. It's considered a single family home. So um, the the mother-in-law unit that I live in, not it's not like a duplex or triplex. Uh, it's just basically a single family home. So we were able to do 5% down. I live in the mother-in-law unit. I Airbnb the three bedroom, one bath in the front. And then I rent out the studio that we actually converted from a workshop to a studio to my cleaner who lives on the property, gets a super reduced rate. And she cleans the main house because of the discounted rate that she gets uh, to live in there. And so between me and my uh, investor were cash flowing in a place that I live in. And if I ever move, um, my investor is going to cash flow more and I'm going to cash flow more. So um, it's really unique because like, you know, this investor was like, you're telling me we're going to buy a property at market value. You're going to live in it and we're still going to make money. And once I did it, he was like, okay, I, I believe you now. <laughs> so, but it was just one of those things. I actually just talked to him yesterday and we did a little video testimonial and he was just like, I thought that Kyle was crazy when he presented this deal to me, but that's, what's great about Airbnb. There's so many, there's so much margins for being able to make money that it, it really creates some great opportunity. Man, like I said, if this thing ever, if Airbnb ever goes away, I can rent out all three units uh, separately and still be cash flowing and, and hill cash flow too. So it's a pretty beautiful thing. That's super creative. And I just love that creativity. And and like you said, I mean, that's what that's what's so impressive about Airbnb, because obviously, if you had to lease those out all on individual tenants, you know, you'd, you'd be you're making, you know, decent money. But the, the fact that you could do it with Airbnb, obviously, increases the juices, those returns so much more. So, yeah. um, so you talked about time freedom. But what what is your favorite activity to do with friends and family when you're not managing the businesses and, and doing all the Airbnb stuff? Yeah, traveling. I love to travel. I I get bored being in the same place for too long. And I I'm not talking about moving a lot. I'm just talking about you know I want to if I'm 
I'm in Fresno for three months. Okay, it's time to go and do a little two week trip somewhere. Um, so I love doing traveling, especially. I'll, I'll go travel to a random place that uh, a friend lives in that really isn't a vacation getaway just to have those relationships and to see friends way more than I'll go to a you know, private island or anything like that. I, I'd much rather spend the time with friends and family on a vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then lastly, what, what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? Offers me the most fulfillment in life. Just knowing, I think it just goes back to making an impact, uh, knowing that I am making a difference in someone's life. Uh, my assistant is a real great example. You know, she got paid a, a good amount a couple months ago and she, you know, just, it seems like on a, every three to four month basis, I'm getting a text from her being like, I just can't tell you how much this job has changed my life and, and, you know, has just helped my kids and helped us to be able to, to do more for our kids. And, and it's just stuff like that, that like, if I, if I make that kind of impact on just one person, um, I know I'm doing something right. So to me, that that definitely is the most fulfilling thing, making a difference in someone else's life. Very cool. Well, Kyle, this has been an outstanding conversation. I really appreciate all the knowledge you've shared. And, and I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So what's the best way that they can get in touch with you out there and, uh, and check out your content and podcast? Yeah, everything is at fearlesskyle.com. Um, everything from the YouTube channel to the podcast, my Instagram, um, we have a great Airbnb profit calculator that you can download, <laughs> excuse me, straight from the website. Um, and so a lot of different options there, or if you would rather just go and connect with me on Instagram, it's fearless Kyle. Awesome, man. Well, looking forward to hearing the stories of when you get to 30 units and, and maybe 50 here in short order when you're rocking it out in Phoenix yeah. and Scottsdale. Let's hope until next time live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to contrarian Cash Flow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.